Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and today we're going to talk with my dear friend Chris Roy of Dubert. We're going to talk about how shelters are finding animals being uh, turned in because of the difficulties of eviction or job loss or job re resuming, right? Because we have to go back to work. What is it you can do? Chris has some great ideas and it really is important to collaborate and not be judgmental. So now let's listen to what Chris and I talked about when it comes to pandemic puppies and their turn being turned into shelters or rescues. It's a very interesting talk with a lot of twists and turns. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law Mediation, and my wonderful Why Do Pets Matter podcast. I'm here with Chris Roy again, our wonderful colleague and friend who comes on Why Do Pets Matter and talks about interesting things that are happening in the rescue and shelter world, as well as in the world in general. Um, so today we're going to expand on a conversation we had before with Chris, looking at the pandemic puppy and what might be occurring now with the drop-offs at shelters that some people might not know. So Chris, welcome. I'm so glad you're here again. You are such a good friend of Why Do Pets Matter. Thanks, Deborah. I'm really excited to be back. I love talking to you. You know, we before we got on the air, we were chatting about this new, you know, shelter drop off. And yeah, yep. people are dropping dogs off at shelters. And there's a lot of judgment around that, which is really difficult, I think, because um, I'm of the group that people are not dropping. Most people are not dropping them off based on convenience, like I don't want to take care of sure, the dog sure. anymore, but things have come up in their lives that have made it difficult for them to keep the pet safely with them. So you thought of two or three things that happen that may actually be something shelters and rescues can work with owners to ameliorate the impact of having to give up their dogs. So let's start there. You spoke about um, the uh, eviction um, rate, you know, the, the moratorium on evictions has stopped. So now people are yep. being asked to leave because they didn't have a job, they couldn't pay rent and their dogs or cats, you know, or birds, maybe even their parrots yeah, um, for sure. might, might not be able to go with them. So tell me a little bit more about what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really complicated problem. And as you know, oftentimes the, the news media is looking for a story. And so there's been a number of stories about, oh, are all these dogs being turned into shelters now that everybody's going back to work? And, you know, they make it sound like that's the only reason. But, you know, as you and I were talking about, it's, it's a complicated problem. Um, certainly, if somebody 
if their lifestyle has changed, they need to figure out how they can still have a pet right in their life, how they can still do that. Um, with the eviction moratorium ending, and now a lot of those evictions are in progress, people need to find pet-friendly housing. Well, you know, your life has just been upended, right? So we're still dealing with a pandemic. They have, if they're being evicted from their house, they don't have a place to live. And then now on top of that, they have to find pet-friendly housing. So they have to find somewhere that will let them bring an animal or two or three or four, depending on whatever they have, um, which is a lot harder because pet-friendly housing is a lot more scarce than even housing, which we already know is a problem, right? So, I mean, there's all these things that kind of get wrapped up. And so what is really happening in the animal sheltering world is there's a lot of conversation about how to really, I don't want to call it counseling because that's probably the wrong word, but it's the word that comes to mind to really try and meet people where they are and say, okay, so what, you know, what's the reason you need to surrender your animal? Because nobody really wants to surrender their animal. They didn't get an animal just because they were bored and said, eh, in a couple of months when I go back to work, I'll just get rid of it. These, these beings are a part of their lives. And so oftentimes they can't afford the food or they might have a very expensive medical bill or um, they're being evicted and they have nowhere to go. And, you know, they're going to stay with their friend, but their friend can't have animals or, you know, like there's all sorts of reasons. But the, the cool part is, is when you meet people where they are and you treat them with empathy and compassion, there's solutions for all of these, right? So instead of somebody needing to turn an animal into the shelter permanently and surrender them, um, give over their rights and all those other things, there's often things that can be done with temporary shelter, right? So, you know, we talk a lot about animal fostering for animals in the shelter, get them out of the shelter, but it also can work for people that are temporarily fostering an owned pet where, you know, if Deborah needs to surrender her pet while she searches for pet-friendly housing and a place to live permanently, a volunteer like me might be able to say, you know what, hey, I would be more than willing to care for your animal for a few weeks or a month or whatever it's going to take you to do that. So it's a really, it's a, it's a challenging time right now, just given all the dynamics of everything that's going on. Um, but I'm really glad to see that we're we're trying. I mean, it's it's hard, right? It's really hard to do to to get everybody to understand and think through the process and how do you how do you meet them, meet them where they are and 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 give them ideas and suggestions on how to cope. It's an emotional time for everyone, and I I love the way you put it. You you really said let's collaborate on a solution as opposed to being judgmental about why people are turning their their pets in. Let's be collaborative. Let's you know, be, I loved it, empathetic and compassionate instead of the emotion that comes to the fore uh, on a number of Facebook pages and other things that say, how can these people do this? This is the last thing I would ever do is give up my pet. And, but for the grace of God, go all of us. And I'll share with the audience that my dogs are not living with me because I couldn't find pet friendly housing in North Carolina where I moved. Now my house sure. where I'm going to move is pet friendly. However, yeah. the, the one I'm renting while mine's being finished up, um, not pet friendly, and they must have called 14 times. And when I looked for a pet friendly place, there were none. There were none in my price range. And of course, that's the other thing we have to be really um, 
alert to. Yeah, people may charge a huge fee for you to have a dog with you and you might not be able to make that fee. So this idea that we work together as a collaborative unit and, you know, find pet friendly housing or hold the pet until we can find pet friendly housing or maybe hold the pet for six months, if you can um, find your friend. I mean, you know, Chris, you know about my map plan where I always say, try to find somebody who, you know, can help you out in the event you have an emergency. Well, P.S. Losing your home is an emergency if you're evicted. And so those people who say, oh yeah, I'll care for your pet, ask them if they'll care for your pet for a month or two or three until you um, can get on your feet. And if they can't, then yeah, the shelters um, and the rescues can really be a helping hand instead of a judgmental hand. So I love the way you're putting this out there. It's, you know, I'm living it. I'm living it. My dogs are, one's in Connecticut and the other's in Minnesota and I'm dying because I don't have my dogs. However, I know they're safe. And Mm -hmm. I know, you know, it'll come to an end at some point, but really you need to make sure that you um, uh, have that secondary uh, issue that you want to take care of. You want to make sure that the pets are safe and you can't live in that same house. Um, So I love it. It's, it's great. I'd love to go a little bit further about, because I know you and I talk about this all the time, how judgment sometimes comes into play and shuts down this collaborative conversation. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Right. And I love that quote. It's, it's my favorite. It, yeah. Yeah. It just, it just kind of reminds, and it's hard. I mean, I have to remind myself and, you know, you get frustrated at somebody that you encounter on the road or, you know, in a store or even just in your day job. I mean, even on calls and stuff, you're like, what the hell? Like, why didn't you get that done? But it's it's hard when you step back and you realize that everybody's got challenges in life, right? Things that are going on with their family and their, their living situation. And, and they don't necessarily, why would they tell you? Why are they going to bring that forward? And so when you start and try and approach everybody with, a you know, a perspective, right? Um, it's really hard not to judge, like just human nature, right? The way that we are, we're kind of wired. And so you have to remind yourself to just say, let's, you know, help, let me help you, right? What, what can I do? What's going on? How, how is this working for you? Why do you need to, you know, surrender your animal? And, and what a lot of the, the shelters do is they actually bring people into a, into a separate room, right? It's, it's an embarrassing situation when, you know, you have to admit that, wow, I'm being evicted or I lost my job or I can't afford this medical procedure. And, you know, nobody wants to be in that position and what a horrible position to be in. So when you, when you try and approach people with that compassion and just go, listen, totally understand, this isn't something you, you caused, um, they, don't, they often don't know what to do. So when you give them options and you give them you know, ideas and resources and links and all those other kinds of things, that's what they really needed. They, didn't even, they don't even know these things exist because when, they, when people bring an animal to a shelter, it's usually their, their last resort. Like it's the last thing. They've tried to say with a family or friend could take them or, or someone else. Um, but, you know, to have to permanently surrender your family member um, is it's just got to be a heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching thing. I know for most people, and I love that you pointed it out because most people didn't know that when food was being given out on the long lines that we saw during COVID, 
pet food was being given out too, because a lot of those people had pets. And so they yes. couldn't feed their family. They couldn't feed their pets. And so a number of the dog food companies gave bags of food so that people could get dog food. It might not be the dog food that you use. However, it's dog food and that helps. Every little bit helps. So I, I love when we all share those resources. There are people you can get in touch with that have um, food banks for pets that you can go to. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It is really hard for me to go in a room and tell people what's going on in my life um, because first of all, I'm proud. And second of all, um, I really don't want to tell you what's going on with my life. It's like listed under, as my mother used to say, listed under the heading of none of your business. Uh, and so, and then you get really defensive and reactive as the pet owner when people start asking you, why are you giving this dog up? you know, we go right to the place of this is not easy for me. And how dare you think it's easy for me. And so that conflict starts, you know, my neck of the woods completely. And how do we diffuse that? Well, we diffuse it by saying, okay, I am so sorry that, you know, life has taken these turns for you. Instead of judging and saying, how dare you say, I'm sorry, life has taken these changes with you. Would you be comfortable telling me what's going on so I can see if there's a resource out there for you to, you know, um, avail yourself of so that a, the dog will be safe, the cat will be safe, whatever, or, you know, that you'll be able to find a foster for the dog or something. Right. Because it is about giving them the tools to decide. And maybe they don't want to keep the dog. Maybe it isn't something that they can go forward with. Who knows? And let's not judge. I always say when people say, I can't believe people give up their dogs. And, and I go, well, if they really don't want the dog, do you want the dog staying in that spot? I'm just saying, True. do you True. really yeah. want the dog staying there? If they truly don't want that dog anymore, you certainly don't want them staying there. Um, and just appreciate that, you know, maybe they realized after six months, they bit off more than they could chew. I know, you know, and I know we've talked about this. There are a lot of people who got dogs during the pandemic who probably wouldn't have been a dog owner in another universe without a pandemic. Right. And when the pandemic was waning and they were going back to work and now they have to find somebody to walk the dog during the day or they had, and that's an added expense. These are things that people, and it's okay, people may or may not want to do. And, you know, I get it. I, my dogs will stay with me, although they aren't with me until the rest of their lives. However, I'm okay with people who say, you know, I just can't do it. I can't afford it. I can't find anybody. I mean, I've spent most of my time talking about how to find people to walk your dogs when you go back to work. You know, those high school right. kids who still might be going remote or who might get home in time and really like a, a job. You could do that. Yep. There's just so many solutions that are out there, but sometimes the solution is letting the dog go because it's just the mental health of everyone post COVID is so tenuous. It just might be the best thing for the dog or cat to move on. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you, you talked about pet food and pet food banks. I mean, there are pet food banks and then often the human food banks have, you know, sometimes they'll have a pet food subsidiary or whatever you can call it. Um, and, you know, strangely enough, I mean, for a lot of seniors that's that are on fixed income, pet food is actually a challenge. And there's been many cases where people are feeding their animals and not feeding themselves, right? Because you have to choose. And, and what a horrible, horrible situation that somebody would have to, to choose. But the, the good news is there are lots of resources. And, but I, I, even I would tell you, Deborah, I don't know how to find them all personally, right? So 
you know, trying to help people navigate that and find the types of things that they need. They might need help for two weeks, two months, or two years ongoing. Um, but really trying to approach them and say, hey, here's some ideas, here's some things that could be done, you know, let them let them make the decision what's best for them. Um, but like you said, try try really, really hard to not judge and really focus on you as a as a caretaker, as a lover of, of animals, wants what's best for the animal. But don't you think they do as well? They're, you know, otherwise they would just take them out to the woods and just drop them off, right? And there's yeah. there's unfortunately some cool people who do like that. that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I I approach it from the standpoint of thank them for being responsible and coming in and trying to say, hey, I, I can't do this, but I care for this this sentient being and I want them to be safe. And and, and, and cared then, for, right. Right. And then try to meet them where they are and say, hey, if you're open to it, I'd love to share some other resources in case they help you so that you don't even have to do this. Right. And if you hey, if you need to, that's totally cool. Right. We will find a, a loving home. But if not, if you just need a little bit of help right now, here's some things that we can do to advise you and, and steer you in a different direction. And so we're talking about this from the perspective of the shelters and the rescues who are getting a lot of these dogs that can't find new homes. And I always, you know me, I always go on the other side. So how do the pet owners who have to turn these dogs in learn skills to not become so offended, so um, reactive, so defensive? You know, you you have to understand that shelters and foster, uh, shelters and rescues and fosters see this day in and day out. And sometimes they get a little um, set in their ways and jaded and biased because of what they see. And you, you might fit um, a parameter that they've seen over and over again. And no, it's not fair that somebody puts you in a box. However, you need to take a breath too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's hard. We are all humans. We all have emotions and we all have our own stuff, right? So even you imagine a, a poor shelter worker that's got their own challenges and maybe they're being evicted or maybe they're going through some family troubles or whatever it might be, but they still need a job. So they come to work and they're not in the best frame of mind. And somebody comes in and they're like, are you serious? You're turning this dog in. I mean, it's not always intentional. And it's really, it's really hard to try and recognize that we're all human beings. We all want to live and we all, you know, want a happy life. Um, so it's, it's not an easy thing. And trying to, I mean, like you said, Deborah, when, when somebody's in that situation, recognize, hey, there's lots of people in situations that you don't know anything about. And, you know, we'll do our best. I mean, I always tell people I will help however I can, uh, at least point you in the right direction to find, you know, additional resources. Yeah, you're not meeting anyone on their best day. So even at a shelter, after a number of dogs have been turned in, the shelter workers probably are ready to rip their hair out because, you know, why is this happening? And, you know, we are sitting here, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking saying you can do this, you can do that. But if you find um, a pipeline for food or a pipeline for fosters or a pipeline for someone to get assistance in finding a pet friendly apartment. We need to also share that information, both as the pet owner who found, you know, a really great pet friendly place, you know, go online and say, listen, this apartment building doesn't charge you extra for having a pet and um, really was helpful to me when I was being evicted. Share that information and then share the information about food and then 
because, you know, we can't keep it close to the vest. We need to share uh, so that other people who are finding themselves in the same position you're in. I loved when you said, you know, maybe the shelter worker is being evicted as well. So here they are muddling through keeping the dog wherever they're keeping the dog. And how come you can't do this too? And so I'm judging you because I'm feeling guilty. And we all need to recognize, as you said, you're, you don't, you're not walking in their shoes. And so we get it. And I might just be so much stronger than you are and that's okay. But that doesn't mean the way I'm handling it is incorrect for me. Yeah, no. And that's a really good point. I mean, it is, you know, what is best for you, the person, right. And every situation is different. And as you said, I mean, we all have pride about everything we're doing and it's not always easy to admit that you're, struggling in a particular situation, whether it be emotionally, financially, you know, physically, whatever it is, that's, that's really hard. So it's, it's, I will say I am not perfect at it myself. I mean, you have to constantly remind yourself to try to be compassionate and kind and, and realize that, you know, sometimes, you know, life just throws you a curveball and maybe that person just needs somebody to listen and, and point them in a direction and hopefully things will work out for the best. I always think that being able to remember to breathe um, when somebody says something that, you know, triggers you like trying to identify two or three triggers that will set you off and then breathing through them while they're setting you off. So you can say, wow, I remember sitting in my vet's parking lot and everybody. So my triggers are somebody gets ahead of me online. That's one of my triggers. I'm very aware of it. I'm in a New Yorker. So I'm very aware of that line thing. I'm in line. Um, and I sat there and I recognized the triggers and I said, boy, am I totally out to lunch today? I am just really being triggered by everybody coming and going at different levels. And if you can take a moment, both as the shelter worker and recognize what your triggers are and as the pet owner, because, you know, um, the worst thing to have is for somebody to lie about what's the dog is like if they're going to drop it off because you don't want to put it with other pets if in fact it's not good with other pets or children if it's not good with other children you really need to support the person in helping them maintain that pet in their life if they can um, have the ability right. to get that pet pet back in their life if it changes within six months or so or a year because of course we have to think of the pet too after it's gone to a foster for six months or a year you know, it's already bonded with those people. And I always say, you know, if, if that occurs, keep in touch with the foster because the foster loves the dog as well. And maybe, you know, you can work out something where when you go on vacation, the foster would take the dog back because the dog knows the person and it's not going to a kennel. You know, there's always these ways to work around that, you know, all or nothing, it's all or nothing and drives me nuts. And of course I talk every Wednesday about the fact that if, a rescue or a shelter gets the dog from animal care and control and then adopts the dog out, you know, you can't get the dog back. And, you know, that's what people are really afraid of. They're afraid of never seeing their dog again, if they are trying to um, navigate transition. Yeah. And And that's a, that's a good way to describe it. Navigating transition, right? There's just things in your life that are going to come up and you have to, you have to know, it's hard to navigate. You don't always make all the right decisions and things just keep happening. Sometimes you just have a stroke of bad luck one after another, after another. And, and taking the conversation totally full circle is that that comes back to collaborating with the person, making them feel as if you are empathetic to where they are, not judgmental, makes it so much different. And you're sharing resources with them that you found work 
in the predicament they find themselves in. Um, and you give them the opportunity to choose whether to give their dog up altogether, to foster their dog, to do something that will really um, enable them to feel um, heard, respected, and understood on this, probably not the best day of their life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Heard, respected, and understood. I mean, this is, this is their worst day. And to you, it's just an, you know, it's a Wednesday, right? Right. Um, but it's, it's a hard thing to, hard thing to be able to do, to meet somebody with that respect and compassion. And, you know, it takes, it takes a lot out of you. And, and as you pointed out, being able to take a deep breath, right? Somebody cuts you off or, whatever. I always try and imagine a scenario. I'm like, Oh, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're late for something or maybe, you know, there's an emergency or maybe, you know, I just try and imagine something that puts it in a more positive light um, instead of bringing out the claws, but it's, you know, you have that gut reaction sometimes. Yeah. And you just have to take a minute to recognize that uh, last night, my son was driving up uh, to the house and got stuck in horrendous traffic. And he was like, what is going on? It's dead stopped. And about a mile down the road, there was a horrific accident. And he called me back and he goes, oh, I am so sorry. I called and vented on you about, you know, how stupid it was that there was traffic here. And I said, you know, you just always when you're sitting there say, well, whatever's ahead of me, I'm glad I'm not part of it. I'm just sitting here because right. you don't know. And it could just be road construction or whatever, but sometimes it's, it's something very dire. And, and just thank God that you were late. <laughs> you were late to that particular yeah. place. And so you missed it and you're just stuck in the traffic. Uh, so Chris, I am so glad you're here. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and how Dubert's doing. Yeah, so Dubert continues to grow. I mean, I'm really excited. We continue to get more volunteers, more organizations. Um, we're continuing to build out the software. So we're building a case management module to actually help organizations to keep track of things like this and um, you know, help help their clients in their community and, and serve them different resources and you know, tools, technology tools that make doing that much easier. So we're rolling out a new module here in another month. Um, and I'm always just looking for ways to keep helping, right? So anything I can do to build technology that's going to help people help animals, that's kind of what my my goal is. And so it's exciting to see that it's really continuing to grow and that we're able to keep, you know, coming out with new things that make a difference. And this helps them breathe as well, because they have these things at their fingertips that can help people who find themselves, you know, on the wrong side of um, being able to keep their animals, giving them some of that information and input, you know, sharing and collaborating on that next step. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's so many things, I mean, technology is good for a lot of things and it's cutting through, you know, all the clutter because today, I mean, where do you, where do you store all these things? And, oh my goodness, I've sent another email, hundredth email today on the same stuff, but we've added ways for them, like two clicks, right? Click, click, send, and just make it so much easier. So now they have more time to actually engage in the harder things. Um, that's the way I view technologies. It can take care of the redundant things, the things you're doing over and over and over again. So now you have time to do the human things, right? Where you actually have to think about and apply logic and reasoning and, and compassion to a situation. Yeah, empathy and compassion. If we can get the redundant things off our plates so we don't get so frustrated that we're behind because the redundant things still have to be done uh, and we can have that moment to breathe and bring empathy and compassion to the conversation, boy, is that important. Hey, Chris, where can they get in touch and learn more about Dubert? 
Yeah, so pretty easy. You just go to dubert.com, D-O-O-B-E-R-T, dubert.com. Um, so you can sign up as a volunteer. Um, if there's an animal welfare organization, rescue, shelter, sanctuary, friends of shelter, all of those, um, you can sign up as an organization. So really excited to be able to continue to do this and, and help people help animals. Especially now when people are transitioning and going back to work and possibly losing their apartments, being able to communicate and, and pass on information is so key. So Dubert is just so important to be a part of and, and learn about now. So everyone here, I'm so glad, Chris, that you were here again. You're always a breath of fresh air and you know, giving us information and insight into things that are happening in the shelter and the rescue world. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Deborah. I'm always excited to be here and talk to you. Well, this is Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law Mediation and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. Until later, kiss your pet. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.